Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uncovering a devastating truth. This journey has led our investigation team into the darkest recesses of human behavior. What ground-penetrating radar has revealed in Williams Lake and why this is just the beginning. Mayor McCallum goes to court. The public mischief charge he's facing and the protests that greeted him today. And pushing for a level playing field. You can go to a Canucks game and scream and shout and cheer, and we can't have a 12-person dinner in a private home. Struggling businesses call for consistency in COVID restrictions. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with the heartbreak in Williams Lake, where more evidence of the horror of residential schools is coming to light. Dozens of possible unmarked graves discovered at the site of the former St. Joseph's Mission Residential School. Nithu Garcha is live in Williams Lake with more on this. Nithu, the First Nation in Williams Lake started its investigation shortly after the discovery in Kamloops. And that's right, Sophie. About two weeks after Tecumloops Tishwetmik announced the findings from its ground-penetrating radar survey, uh, the Williams Lake First Nation announced its intent to conduct an investigation of its own. And while there are a number of ways to confirm the likelihood of human remains at these sites found uh, through this preliminary report, the only way to know for sure is through excavation. 93 is our number. Cook P. Willie Sellers making public the number of possible burials found near the former St. Joseph's Mission Residential School, which his father was forced to attend, and highlighting the kind of unthinkable abuse faced by Indigenous children. This journey has led our investigation team into the darkest recesses of human behaviour. Our team has recorded not only stories involving the murder and disappearance of children and infants, they have listened to countless stories of systemic tor systematic torture. There is a cemetery on the now privately owned lands of the torn down institution, which was run by the Oblates of Mary Immaculate. GPR analysis of the existing cemetery and known burial features gives the investigation team good comparative data for reflections elsewhere in the investigation area. A 470-hectare area determined as a target this past summer through survivor interviews, and of which 14 hectares have been scanned using multiple methods including remote sensing technology and ground-penetrating radar. Politicians hopefully get a stark reminder every single time an announcement is made not to forget and to continue to stand beside us. In an interview after the presentation, Cook P. Sellers telling Global News a request for funding to conduct its investigation submitted to the provincial and federal governments shortly after Tecumloops to Schwetmik announced its findings in May was quickly met. We have put together a very robust plan and strategy on how we wanted to respond and they've met our needs uh, immediately. 
This is the gymnasium where many survivors gathered for support and to grieve. Among those taking space to process the findings is Phyllis Webstad, the creator of Orange Shirt Day, saying in a statement, the confirmation of children's remains where three generations of her family attended is traumatizing, yet it also serves as validation of the stories told. There is a future for our people that healing isn't just a pipe dream. Healing can be a reality. Amid unprecedented public support for the efforts to uncover the truth about the systematic abuses, these findings, he says, are part of a reawakening for Indigenous people and a path towards healing. They tried to beat the Indian out of the child. We have persevered and now we are starting to thrive. Nithu, what is next in the investigation process for the Williams Lake First Nation? Well, Sophie, Cook P. Seller says among the discussions about possible next steps is whether to retain legal counsel and potentially seek criminal responsibility, uh, pushing for the release of missing school attendance records, and most importantly, he says, ensuring there are adequate resources in place for the mental health and well-being of residential school survivors who we know are reliving the trauma that's even difficult to hear about as we did today. Sophie? Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that. Nitu Garcha in Williams Lake for us. Now, this is the fourth discovery of remains at former residential schools in B.C. The first revelation came in May at the site of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School, where graves holding the remains of more than 200 children were found. In June, 182 unmarked graves were discovered at the former St. Eugene's Mission near Cranbrook. Next, the Penalicut tribe revealed the presence of more than 160 undocumented and unmarked graves at the Cooper Island Residential School. And finally, today, as you just heard, 93 more possible graves at St. Joseph's Mission near Williams Lake. Now, we understand these stories may be triggering for our, for our viewers, and there is support available for survivors and their families. That phone number is toll-free, 24 hours a day, and you can speak in confidence. It's 1-800-721-0066. Langley RCMP are investigating a shooting that happened just steps away from an elementary school in the Willoughby area this afternoon. Kamal Kuramali is live with the latest on the shooting. Kamal, apparently no injuries, but boy, I bet a lot of rattled nerves in that neighborhood. Rattled nerves by students, parents, teachers. Let me just show you how close it is. You said it steps away and it is literally just that. So right behind me here is uh, the uh, Donna Gabriel Robbins Elementary School here. And uh, this is along 78th Avenue and 204th Street and literally just steps away here. You can see where the parents would drive out of the school. Right there is where the shooting took place uh, at, uh, at uh, 78th Avenue and 204th Street here. Police are still on the scene here, combing through the details. The investigation is still very much ongoing here. And uh, this happened at around 1.50 uh, this afternoon. Uh, several people heard shots, multiple vehicles seen leaving this scene. And the person who was being shot at, they spoke to investigators. He is not injured. Suspect vehicle was described as a sedan and police confirmed there was a second location related to their investigation into this shooting. That's in Walnut Grove, a short distance away on 88th Avenue and 210th Street. Now, police confirm one of the vehicles was located there. That was the victim's vehicle in Walnut Grove. And uh, as you mentioned, parents here terrified of how close the shooting was to an elementary school where classes were still ongoing.
extremely concerning. It's a, it's a brand new neighborhood, um, so it's quite shocking that this has happened. And frankly, so close to a school, that's it's a bit frightening. And so police uh, also say that the, as I mentioned, the investigation is still very much ongoing. And right now, Chris and Sophie, they are currently looking for at least one suspect. But a lot of questions remain, including how many shots were fired. So very much in its uh, infancy is this investigation. Back over to you. So glad nobody at the school was hurt. Uh, Kamal Karamali reporting for us in Langley. Thanks, Kamal. A suspect has been arrested in a New Year's Eve assault in which a woman was thrown to the ground by a stranger in downtown Vancouver. The 22-year-old was walking on West Georgia Street outside the Hotel Georgia when a man she didn't know grabbed her, sending them both falling into a planter. She managed to get away and the suspect walked off in the opposite direction. Police say they arrested 50-year-old Stephen Forbes this morning. He's been charged with assault and will remain in custody until his next court appearance. Turning to the pandemic now, and if you want to eat out at restaurants, attend major sporting events, and experience a range of other non-essential services, you'll have to prove your vaccination status for a little while yet. BC announcing today it is extending its vaccine passport system. Richard Zussman has more. It has been scanned millions and millions of times, and now BC's vaccine card is sticking around a little longer. The BC vaccine card program is specifically designed to address those and mitigate those risks that allow us to keep certain businesses and activities open. The proof of immunization was scheduled to go away by the end of January for concerts, restaurants, sporting events, gyms, and many other discretionary events. But with COVID cases still high and hospitalizations at record numbers, it is right now scheduled to remain until June 30th. We'll be reevaluating as we go through this next few weeks and as hopefully we will see a decrease in hospitalizations. The vaccine is for those 12 plus and will not include the booster. So two shots means fully vaccinated. Um, not everybody has yet eligible or um, has the opportunity to receive their booster dose. The province also not including 5 to 11 year olds, in part because of changing guidance. On Tuesday, the National Advisory Committee now changing its language, recommending parents get their kids in this age group vaccinated. It is not only to protect us for now, but also to make sure that we're giving the best priming of the immune system for the future, too. The previous guidance suggested children may be offered the vaccine, likely a factor in why only a little more than half of this age group has received the shot. Where we are now seeing that young people are being infected, and yes, the rate of serious illness and hospitalization is still very low in the, that age group, thankfully, but more and more numbers of children are ending up in hospital. More news for kids. The province will be allowing youth sports tournaments again starting February 1st, but adult sports tournaments still on ice. We know that sports has a different place uh, for, for youth in terms of growth and development. The frustration of the pandemic catching up to many. Those 70 plus and those immunocompromised still at high risk of severe outcomes before changing more policies. The province watching for what new variants may be coming. And we're all tired of COVID-19. No one more than me. And although we are in it now, Dr. Henry hoping for a gentler COVID summer. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
Not sure we're going to get it. Here's a look at our COVID-19 numbers for the last 24 hours. We are hovering just under 1,000 patients in hospital. 144 of those people are in the ICU. That's a jump of 15. More on that in a moment. We've had one more person die of complications from the virus. There are 32,468 active cases, including about 1,400 recorded in just the past day. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the hospital numbers. And of course, I'm hoping that we're out of this by the summer. That would be great. But uh, tonight we want to focus within the hospital numbers on the critical care numbers. We saw a big jump. Yeah, so last night we talked about uh, the fact that we experienced our first decline in ICU cases uh, over the weekend in the space of a week had been going up consistently and perhaps that was a sign that the ICU numbers would go down. Not so, folks. They're on their way up. In fact, we have more people in ICU right now than at any time uh, since October 29th. So 144 people are in, in the ICU. 71 patients of those, 71 of those people are on ventilators or artificial breathing devices. That's an increase of 26 in just one week. 59 patients are unvaccinated. And 37 of them are over the age of 60. And you can see the age situation is the same with people who are vaccinated. People over 60 and 70 are most at risk of going into the ICU or going into hospital. Three patients are under 19 years of age. Two of those are unvaccinated. So, again, the ICU numbers on the rise. Hopefully this is, does not continue. Our hospitalization number has actually dropped and stabilized the last few days. Not so with the ICU. One more bit of news I just got on my desk here, Chris. There is, we heard in Richard's story, talk about another very coming on. Well, there is another variant. It's called the BA2. It's a subvariant of Omicron. Just found out BC now has recorded 66 confirmed cases. It's not a lot, but certainly 66 is 66. It's not replacing Omicron, but this new variant is now half the cases in Denmark. There's a big surge in Northern Europe. It is taking on Omicron uh, BA1 in Northern Europe. We'll see what happens in BC. 66 cases, 33 of those associated with international travel, just like the original COVID cases were back in January 2020. In in fact, on Friday, it's the two-year anniversary of our first case, and of course, that came from international travel. Certainly did. Yeah, we remember that well. Hard to believe two years has gone by. Thanks, Keith. Wedding and event planning businesses say they are fed up with what they feel are unfair pandemic restrictions. While restaurants and fitness centers have plans in place with public health to stay operational, these small businesses say they're at a standstill. Aaron MacArthur reports. The kitchen at Edge Catering is barely simmering with activity. At its peak, the business employs 60 people. With the current restrictions on events, a team of five is all that's left filling what orders they have. The revenue that is coming in the door is nowhere near supporting the operating costs and running the business. As the Omicron wave has gone on, the province has lifted or modified restrictions in just about every other sector of the economy. It seems only caterers and the event space as a whole that have not been allowed to resume their operations. The current health order expires February 16th. We feel like we have been overlooked, unheard, and we need to change that. We need an open conversation to get back to work. The factors that we're seeing have not changed. It's indoor spaces with poorer ventilation, less space where um, people are uh, not as likely to wear their masks consistently. Those are places where we see transmission. Critics say inconsistency has been the only constant with BC's health orders. 
While the stands at Rogers Arena are busy with unmasked people drinking, eating, and yelling, stadiums in Alberta have canceled all food and beverage from the seated areas. Fans required to wear a mask for the whole game. And while restaurants remain open, even the smallest of wedding receptions, forbidden. We're not asking to reopen with no restrictions, not wanting to throw huge parties, dance parties. We know that's not the reality. We're just asking for an opportunity to reopen. Not only is the event industry hemorrhaging money from cancelled bookings in the short term, long-term reservations are being affected too. Catering company The Lazy Gourmet says once the restrictions are lifted, it could take six to eight weeks to scale the business up and rehire staff. Sooner than later, we'd like to have clear rules about how we can reopen. If the rules don't change soon, many businesses may not last to see later. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. As the Omicron variant continues to sweep across B.C., more and more people are looking for rapid test kits. But as Krista Dow reports, they are scarce. And if you do find them, the price has ballooned in the past few weeks. From pharmacy to pharmacy, a common theme is emerging. COVID-19 rapid test kits are rapidly disappearing. I've had friends who have been looking for them in BC here in Vancouver and haven't had any luck. Trying to get tests from like uh, London Drugs or, or shoppers and couldn't find any. At a Harvard pharmacy, pharmacist Peter Dang says they receive calls from customers inquiring about kits daily. I asked like uh, when, when, what? What's the timeline to uh, be available? But as of right now, no availability. Shelves have been empty for weeks. And according to Dang, prices have tripled in recent months. The cost used to be five bucks a test, and now as you go up, like triple in prices, right? So, you know, it's not, uh, it's not fair for the public to have to pay whatever the retail price for that is, right? Other pharmacies tell us they sell for about $28 per kit. Prices are cheaper online, but requiring purchases in bulk, going from $200 to $400 for 25 tests. When asked about price gouging and supply issues, BC health officials had this to say. I can't talk about pricing of, of rapid tests on the private market. I will tell you that there's a global shortage. Obviously, no one wants to see anybody gouged, and that's something to look at. It's outside of the healthcare system. It's something no, we don't want anyone to look. We'll obviously be looking at. Though kits are difficult to come by, they're not impossible to find. But there's no time to waste. From the office they sent me to find some rapid tests. Probably they will run out soon. They told me to come quick from the office because they might run out soon. Krista Dow, Global News. Well, the mayor of B.C.'s second largest city faces a charge of public mischief. But that's not all Doug McCallum faced on the first day in court today. Why protesters say he should resign in just over a minute. Spectacular video of a local diver entertained by a herd of sea lions coming up on the news hour. And all in the family of First Nations filmmaker recruits the people closest to her to tell her most personal story yet. That's later. Right now, though, a court appearance today for lawyers representing Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum. The mayor is charged with public mischief, accused of intentionally misleading police. The criminal charge stems from an incident in September and McCallum's very public accusations. Catherine Urquhart has the latest. Yeah. Outside Surrey Provincial Court, about 20 protesters gathered with the group Keep the RCMP in Surrey. 
Inside, a first appearance was scheduled for Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum, who is charged criminally with public mischief. We just want to be seen and visible um, here in front of the courthouse as Mr McCallum meets uh, his date in court. Back on September 6th, a limping Mayor McCallum told Global News he had been struck by a car two days earlier in the South Point Savon Foods parking lot. He said the driver was collecting signatures for the Surrey Police Vote Initiative, which was pushing for a referendum on keeping the Mounties. As she, she pulled out and, and turned right, she clipped my knee and, and my bottom leg and then ran over my foot at the same time and then took off. McCallum told us he did his grocery shopping, went to hospital, then spoke to the RCMP. They asked me if I wanted to lay charges, and I said yes. Days later, the RCMP asked Global News to preserve the interview. It's now evidence in the case, which is being handled by Special Prosecutor Richard Fowler. High-profile lawyer Richard Peck, who defended Huawei's Meng Wanzhou, is representing McCallum. His fees are being paid by taxpayers. We feel that um, Mayor McCallum should pay for his own legal fees. Whether he's guilty or not is for the court to determine. However, he was clearly uh, at the incident in a capacity as a private citizen, not in his capacity as mayor. As protesters waited outside, inside the courthouse, lawyers appeared virtually on behalf of Mayor Doug McCallum. There was no plea. Instead, the case was delayed, put over until February 22nd. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Day two of the fraud and breach of trust trial of the former clerk of the B.C. legislature and court heard that Craig James allegedly did a lot of shopping while traveling and put many of his purchases on his government tab. Grace Key has the details. More details are emerging about former B.C. legislature clerk Craig James and purchases he got reimbursed for while on official business. Here's just some of the bigger ticket items. A London tailor to the Queen, $1,200. Brooks Brothers in Vancouver, $600 for shirts and suspenders. Various luggage purchases, about $2,300. Now, at one time, James said he was making the suitcases available for MLAs for official travel. During his travels abroad, James went to many gift shops, buying things such as books, stationery and playing cards alcohol purchases were crossed off. Here's a look at just some of the items entered into exhibit. He bought a God Save the Queen cushion for 40 pounds, a magnetic bottle opener with the words leader of the house for seven pounds, and luxury whiskey cakes for five pounds. James has argued that he did get approval for those purchases. Now this is day two of court, so we have yet to hear from defense. The trial is expected to last about five weeks. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, new rules to transform Vancouver neighborhoods. This is something we really need to do. What the city of Vancouver is considering to pack more people onto smaller lots. And after so many disappointments, a teenager in desperate need of back surgery gets the news he was hoping for. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Ridge, which is some leftover volume for eastbound traffic on the east-west connector. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. 
Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart is taking another shot at his controversial proposal to create more housing density in single-family neighborhoods. The proposal would allow up to six housing units on a couple thousand existing single-family lots. Ted Chernecki takes a closer look. About 60% of Vancouver is zoned single-family, and once again, the mayor's trying to pack more homes into existing neighborhoods. He's asked council this afternoon to consider rezoning up to 2,000 lots so up to six housing units could replace a single home on each lot. This is something we really need to do. I think we've talked about it a lot. There's a lot of interest in this, not just here in the city, but across Canada. It's similar to what New Zealand did last year. There, like here, municipal councils kept refusing densification because too many NIMBYs, not my backyard residents, protested. So New Zealand's federal government cut municipal councils out of the picture and gave the green light directly to residents to follow guidelines but build away. That argued councillor Hardwick will only drive up land values. How do you uh, expect to enhance affordability at the same time as inflating land values? The city will capture some of that land lift and either allow the owner to put it back into the um, building that's on site, so that would be to create affordable work, uh, units for purchase, or the city can capture that value and use it across the city in other ways, infrastructure or housing investments. Here's an architect's drawing of what one of these sixplexes could look like on a street where the lots are only 33 feet wide. The city's home website says this densification will not be profit-motivated. At least two of the six units must and the price of any resale of them will be capped forever. It's a housing strategy that they're just starting to try out in California and Oregon. We have seen other jurisdictions recognize that single-family type housing just doesn't work for affordability. Vancouver's taken baby steps with laneways and basement suites. This is the next logical step, but here the city's saying it's a big enough step that uh, we want to grab some of the upside. Uh, for public interest. The mayor believes this plan could add 10,000 new housing units on existing land, affordable to anyone earning $80,000 a year or more. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Still ahead, a slight hitch in the trucker's trip to Ottawa. As the anti-vaccine mandate convoy rolls along, why the multi-million dollar GoFundMe has been suspended. And what could be a more effective weapon in the fight against Omicron? Good evening. The fog's really rolling in here in uh, Richmond and traffic is moving well both ways through the Massey Tunnel. With BCAA Car Insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere from ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings. Visit BCAA.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The trucker convoy protesting vaccine mandates has now rolled through Saskatoon. It set off from Vancouver on Sunday in opposition to cross-border vaccination requirements recently imposed on the trucking industry. Global's Ian Duffy has the latest on the rolling protest and those flocking to their cause. It's going to be bigger. This ain't nothing. We've got the ground rumbling now. We'll just wait. This is going to really rumble. Hundreds of trucks passed through Saskatoon and Regina Monday before stopping in Balgoni for the night. They're convoying from B.C. to Ottawa in protest of the new vaccine mandate for truck drivers crossing the border. A lot of people are trying to say that these types of things are, are done out of anger, but this is actually being done out of frustration towards the things that the, the government is imposing upon Canadian citizens. The last few years have been hard on everybody. We're not getting nowhere. 
you know, this is our freedoms, our rights. They've been taken away. We want them back. We want our decision. The convoy was met with a large number of supporters braving the cold along the way, many of whom say they are fully vaccinated but are simply against vaccination mandates. There does seem to be a shift in public opinion in terms of where we are in the pandemic. Professor Pennycook says coming up on three years of pandemic life, some are willing to take back control of their own health risks, and this movement is the perfect platform. This is a uh, straightforward and convenient way for people to voice their frustrations with uh, well, I mean, not just the restrictions, but with the pandemic itself. Just, you know, life hasn't gone back to normal and we, you know, we got vaccinated and everything. Most of us are vaccinated. Um, we kind of want our lives to go back to normal. He also acknowledges that the protest's messaging could be hijacked if the convoy turns into multiple protests at once. People come, know they have some sort of grievances and the protest is an outlet for whatever grievances they happen to have. Uh, and so, you know, their support for the protest may have nothing to do with what the organizers are trying to accomplish or any certain, certainly any policy or any specific policy uh, recommendations or changes. Ian Duffy, Global News. Well, GoFundMe says until a clear plan is in place about how the money will be spent, it will hold on to millions of dollars raised for that trucker convoy. The fundraiser has brought in more than $4.5 million since it was started on January 14th. GoFundMe says it is waiting for the organizer to deliver a plan on how the funds will be distributed. In Health Matters tonight, Pfizer and BioNTech have begun testing an Omicron-specific COVID-19 vaccine. The clinical trial will test a new version of their vaccine specifically designed to target the Omicron variant, which has eluded some of the protection provided by the original two-dose vaccine regimen. The companies plan to test the immune response generated by a three-shot regimen in unvaccinated people and as a booster shot for people who already received two doses of their original vaccine. They're also testing a fourth dose of the current vaccine against a fourth dose of the Omicron-based vaccine. More than 1,400 people have signed up to take part in the trial. Now an update to a story we told you about last week and some good news for northern B.C. parents who had been waiting months for a crucial surgery for their 14-year-old son. Devin Gallant from Fort St. John has been living with spinal muscular atrophy since he was three and his scoliosis started to threaten other organs. Surgery to insert rods into his back had been scheduled and cancelled four times in six weeks. Officials postponing the procedure to help ease the burden on the health care system during the Omicron wave. Well, today, Devin's mother confirmed on Facebook that his surgery has finally been rescheduled for Friday, just one day before his 15th birthday. The family is relieved and in shock, but say they won't believe it until it actually happens. Happy birthday, early birthday to you. Absolutely. Good luck, Devin. All right, just ahead, dancing sea lions. Because they're curious, they come and they check us out. A man who's done a lot of West Coast diving has an encounter he'll never forget. And later in sports, what JT Miller says about being hit by COVID-19 and being back on the ice tonight. Force it out. Christy's here with a look at our weather forecast. There was sun out there today. I just didn't see any of it at ground level. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. And that's really has been the case for a couple of days and we we're expecting the pattern to continue. Now, it did lighten up in some areas a little bit this afternoon. So if you were to able to capture the sun, you're one of the lucky ones. Generally, though, we warmed up to three degrees and we were socked in. Here's a look at some uh, footage from the uh, Cypress uh, Lookout area. Just stunning shots looking out over that gorgeous, uh, uh, well, the blue sky up above and then that thick cloud cover. But you can see looking out towards SFU, Burnaby Mountain, uh, it peaking out there and as well, some billowing uh, clouds, and that's really from the refinery sort of uh, poking out over that uh, fog. Uh, here's the scene, though, some of viewer photos. This is from the SFU Burnaby Mountain area. Looking back out the other way, you can see just stunning imagery from that area. Thank you to everyone who shares photos with us. This one from Port Moody looking towards the mountains. Great footage or uh, imagery here. Mount Seymour, thank you to Gail for that one. Look at that. It looks like a lake down there. And look at this. Some more of that rime ice that we talked about the other day. And basically in the interior where they're seeing thick fog, uh, the temperature is so cold at night that they're getting this acute accumulation of, of ice and it's called rime ice when the air or the moisture in the air becomes so cold but then it only accumulates when it hits an actual surface. Great shots. Thank you to Kathy for sharing that with us. Uh, fog advisory has now been extended through the Caribou and the Central Interior regions. We are expecting the fog advisory to last through tomorrow and Thursday potentially even into Friday. Across northern regions you'll see some valley fog. That will be the case in through the interior as well. Cold overnight with minus nine and not warming up above the freezing tomorrow. Uh, for our daytime tomorrow, we could see seven degrees if you're in the sunshine, but a lot of areas in that thick fog may only warm up to about three or four degrees. And Chris, I'll leave you with one last uh, image. This one looking out from the Westwood Plateau area, Katie Wick sending us this one. Mm. Stunning. I mean, you can see the frost on the ground, how cold it is, and then that sun uh, climbing. So that was a sunrise from this morning. Gorgeous view. Thanks, Christy. Well, it was quite the encounter for a diver in Nanaimo who recently found himself surrounded by a raft of sea lions. And as Kylie Stanton tells us, this isn't the first time the creatures have flocked to this retired fisheries officer. I'm using a semi-dry wetsuit. Hosing down the gear, getting it ready for the next dive. I'll leave this out here to dry. This routine has played out a couple times a week, a couple hundred times a year. For decades now. I started diving back in 1978, so over 40 years of experience, a uh, couple thousand dives. The one thing that keeps Tom Lavick coming back is never really knowing what he's going to find beneath the surface. It's a different world and it's always really interesting. But a recent dive at Cottom Point is one Lavick says he'll never forget. North shore of Northwest Bay. He and his diving partner were exploring the area when they were surrounded by seven massive sea lions. One was pulling at my fins there. They see our bubbles coming up from the depths or they hear us, uh, probably both. When they're not busy feeding, sometimes they'll take the time to play. I think they're, they're intelligent creatures. Here's one checking me out. While it may seem like an experience of a lifetime, this is actually the second time Lavik has encountered the animals like this. Back in February of last year, he was swarmed by these sea lions at Madrona Point. Lavik, a former fisheries officer, followed protocol, remaining calm and not reacting. 
You don't want to turn it into a recreation for them that can endanger other divers. Fisheries and Oceans Canada warn sea lions, while they appear gentle, are in fact massive wild animals, sometimes the size of grizzly bears, and need to be respected as such. The marine mammal regulations clearly states that um, you know, we're not to interact with uh, marine mammals uh, in, in any form. And so that includes swimming with and, and feeding and, and other things like that. And so we want to try and leave them, uh, you know, where they are and, and not to seek out those sort of experiences. They're very, very competent in the water. Lavic will be filing this dive away as one of the best yet, knowing he was lucky while remaining hopeful, there's still more to come. We didn't win the lottery. This was more like a, uh, a quick pick win. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still a win. Yeah, I'd take a quick pick. Yeah. <laughs> They're like the puppy dogs of the sea. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, Squire's got some breaking Canucks news. Yeah, it's kind of all over the NHL now that it looks like Vancouver is going to hire Patrick Alvin, who used to work with Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh with the Penguins, is going to be named the Canucks general manager, maybe officially by tonight because the news is breaking all over, but officially tomorrow, if not tonight. So he is someone Jim Rutherford knows very well. That's not a surprise, really. Uh, Denis Shapovalov thought Raphael Nadal was allowed to waste too much time in their match last night to recover from various points of exhaustion. It's unfair, uh, you know, how much Rafa's getting away with. Shapovalov lost in five sets. He's not happy with how Nadal is supposedly given more leeway than others. Also tonight, a documentary filmmaker turns the camera on her own family with a story she's earned the right to tell. Sportscast with Squire Barnes, fresh off the presses. Well, as I said, all the insiders all over the NHL are starting to say that Patrick Alvin is the guy that the Vancouver Canucks have hired to be their general manager. It's not really a surprise. This guy's name has always been in the mix because Jim Rutherford has worked with him before in Pittsburgh. He has a few Stanley Cups because he's been with the Penguins for 16 years. So it's somebody Rutherford knows, somebody he's comfortable with. He is from Sweden. He has started as a scout with the Penguins and then worked his way up. So we'll see if that is true, but I think it is. Uh, now, let's uh, talk about the Canucks COVID update. Tanner Pearson tested positive this morning, so he will not play tonight against Edmonton. We thought Thatcher Demko would get out of protocol and play tonight, but he didn't. So he's not going to play this game. But Spencer Martin is able to play, so he'll be the starting goalie. JT Miller, though, will be back tonight. He was in protocol with Demko. He uh, cleared this morning. And he says when he was in protocol, he didn't feel all that sick. Yeah, I'm just ready to get back. Uh, it was fine. Um, nothing out of the ordinary. So uh, I'm sure the legs and the lungs will take a little hit in the first period tonight. But uh, hopefully by the second, I'll get uh, I'll adapt and it'll be ready to roll. Five BC boys named to the men's Olympic hockey team for Canada, which is made up mainly of guys playing in Europe. Uh, BC-born players are Tyler Motherspoon, Landon Ferrero, Corbin Knight, Ben Street and Jordan Wheel. They're also two BC players on what they call the reserve squad, Justin Pogge and Kent Johnson. Well, the trade of goalkeeper Max Crapo to LAFC last week left Thomas Hassall 
as the Whitecaps' number one keeper. But when the trade went down, which was a huge surprise, of course, we didn't hear from either of the two keepers. Today, though, both spoke about what is most definitely a seismic shift in Vancouver's net. A week after Max Crapeau had his wish for a trade granted, the former Whitecaps keeper isn't shedding much light on why he wanted out of Vancouver, a place that gave him his chance of becoming an MLS starting keeper. personal reason and uh, I wanted to thank the, the organization of Vancouver for the, the last three years you know they've given me the opportunity to, to prove myself in the league and uh, to be fair uh, it's only personal reason and a lot of people have uh, messaged me about my family which uh, we are all healthy and everybody's fine everybody's happy and so uh, we're really really looking forward to, to go in LA and uh, to represent LAFC. For the time being, 22-year-old Thomas Hassal is the Caps' number one keeper. The Whitecaps plan on acquiring a veteran goalkeeper to add some much-needed experience in goal before the start of the season. But until then, it's Hassal's job to lose. Last year, he started seven games for the Caps, posting one clean sheet. Every team in the league has a number of goalkeepers that are able to play in the league and that the team would trust. Um... At the same time, it doesn't really change what I have to do. You know, I come into training every day. I work as hard as I can. I focus on what I have to do personally, myself. And if someone else comes, it doesn't change anything. Hassal has his work cut out for himself. He takes over from Max Crapo, who started 27 matches and posted six shutouts, all career highs. Numbers Max is going to try to duplicate for LAFC. And while he wouldn't divulge why he left Vancouver, Crapo did have one final message for Caps supporters. In Vancouver, uh, ever since uh, I, I stepped foot, everyone was really, uh, really, really genuine with me. And so uh, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for, for the past three years. And, and uh, you know, uh, friendship is forever. And so uh, there's some business decision and such, but uh, friendship is forever. I don't think we've ever seen Max Crapo that close. I think he's about like that far from the camera. Uh, Dennis Shapovalov took Rafael Nadal to the fifth set last night before losing at the Australian Open in the quarterfinal. Shapovalov played very well. So did Nadal, but he was clearly suffering at times from the heat. Shapovalov felt Nadal took too much time between some points, and in a break between the fourth and fifth sets, he thought he took way too much time. He felt Nadal was given favoritism by the umpire because of who he is. Of course, of 100% he does, 100%. I mean, every other match that I've played, the pace has been so quick because the refs have been on the clock after every single point. And this one, I mean, after the first two sets, it was like an hour and a half just because he's dragged out so much after every single point. I mean, he's given so much time, you know, and in between sets and all this. I mean, it's just, it's dragged out, you know. And, and again, I respect everything that Rafa's done, and I think he's an unbelievable player. But, you know, there's got to be some some boundaries, some rules set. And it, it's just, it's so frustrating as a player. You know, you feel like you're not just playing against the player. You're playing against the umpires. You're playing against, you know, so much more. And Baseball Hall of Fame voting, David Ortiz, Big Poppy is in, but Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling did not get the required 75%, so they're no longer in the writer's ballot, but they could get the ERA committee down the road. There you go. Still a chance. All, All right. right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a First Nations filmmaker who turned the camera on herself.
An indigenous filmmaker who has made a name for herself with her compelling documentaries is now moving into the world of feature films. And what she's bringing to the screen is a reflection of her own family and culture. Jada Ranch shows us how on This Is BC. I want to get time with Sarah first, and then you. After 12 years of making documentaries, Jules Kostachin is putting together her first feature film. Okay, so here is where it gets police officer comes in. The inspiration for Broken Angel came from the people she met while working at an Indigenous women's shelter. They would always share stories and laugh and talk. So I found that, you know, really beautiful in terms of their healing and wellness. It was shot in just 12 days and features a mainly all-Indigenous cast, including Jules, her son, and her mother, who has a bit part in the film. So whenever he said action, she would stop and look at me and goes, what do you want me to do? And then she'd start panicking. I'm like, Mom, Mom, don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> and then we have to start all over again. This is my Mushu, my grandfather. He was a hunter-trapper. It was family that provided a starting point for her as a storyteller. As a child growing up in a Cree community, Kostachin heard all kinds of tales about her ancestral roots. The best memories are just sitting around listening to the elders talk and laugh and tell stories, and they were so animated. Like, they would just enjoy coming together and, and sharing. Her documentaries and TV shows have showcased cultural knowledge and experiences. The series ASCII Boys featuring her two eldest sons has been shown in school classrooms across the country. It's like two urban Cree boys going out and, you know, onto the land and learning how to hunt and trap and it's hilarious. <laughs> I guess they don't know what they're doing. I think we have long arms, eh? <laughs> A transformation in the film industry is giving Kostachin and other First Nations directors the chance to share their history with a wide audience that otherwise would never have seen some of these powerful stories. It's nice to see these young emerging filmmakers with all this opportunity to grow and to fly and to soar. So I'm happy to be part of that community. Um, and I'm just catching up with everyone. It's just you and your space. This is your limbo. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, one more quick check-in with Christy out on the deck. Thanks. Well, we are expecting the fog to intensify again tonight. So near zero visibility, possibly on the roads. Be careful of that. It will be thick through much of the day. If you're higher up, that's where you have the better chance of seeing the sunshine in seven degrees. But if you're lower down, you'll likely only hit three or four degrees. It is chilly. Ooh, no doubt. All right. Thanks, Christy. And thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night, all.